Welcome to another episode of Clear Light Connections, where we talk to the people behind the businesses of Bay Area Houston, proudly sponsored by UTMB Health. Special guest today with UTMB uh, faculty is Dr. Kaiser, and he specializes in, well, I, I'm going to ask you what you specialize in. Tell, tell us a little about yourself. Sure. I know that you are the health authority in Galveston County at That's the moment. Right. Okay. Tell us tell us about your background and, and, and what it is you've been doing lately. Sure. So I'm an infectious disease specialist, and I've spent uh, my entire career um, diagnosing and treating uh, infectious diseases. Uh, for early on when I started this in the, in the late 80s and 90s, I treated people with HIV and AIDS. And uh, then um, and during a period of uh, my life, I actually traveled to Africa and helped set up HIV clinics. And since... Uh, 2016, I've been the local health authority for Galveston County, and that really is the chief public health officer. And I'm also a professor of uh, infectious diseases at UTMB. So, I mean, Pete, you should look familiar to a lot of people, especially if they live in Galveston County, and, mm -hmm. and you've been on TV a lot. Uh, you were telling me about a, an experience at CNN, so you've been getting some national exposure. Yeah. Uh, what's it been like? I mean, you've really been put in the limelight. Oh, it's been a, a wild ride, and uh, one of the things I've learned throughout this whole thing that I, I don't talk like most other public health officials because, you know, I'll give an interview locally, and then someone will call me up and said, you know, I saw this interview you gave, and you said something interesting, and that happens to me over and over again. So what I find is that I don't necessarily, you know, followed the script that everyone else does, and quite unintentionally. Yeah. And uh, what it does is that, you know, that piques people's interest and uh, sometimes gets me in trouble. So you're a faculty member at UTMB. Yes, I am. Uh, we, we we love talking about how it's a teaching hospital. Yeah, and and how so many of the doctors seem to come through there and then come back and end up, you know, mm -hmm. doing doing it themselves. How long have you been here? And, and and you know, what what's your what's your favorite part of of being a faculty member at UTMB? Well, I've been here since 2008. I actually arrived at UTMB on September 1st, 2008. Okay, uh, 13 days before yeah. Ike. Um, I had a week of uh, orientation. I started my job, and then that Wednesday I evacuated, and uh, you know it was uh, quite a surprise. Yeah. Uh, I knew we were going to have to deal with hurricanes. I just didn't know it was going to be that soon. And after having to go through all of the uh, you know the stuff with the rebuilding and, and Hurricane Ike, it's you know really feel like I'm I'm part of the community, and uh, you know I enjoy um, being uh, at at UTMB and also uh, being in, in Galveston and Galveston County. You know, typically before I'd always been in big cities. And so being in a smaller community has a lot of advantages and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and let's get back to, obviously we've got COVID going on. And so that's yeah. kind of put you at the fore. What was the job like before that? What, what were your main issues that you were dealing with? Well, you know, so dealing with a lot of things like uh, tuberculosis um, and uh, influenza outbreaks. And, uh, of course, you know, a lot of my experience was uh, with HIV and seeing that pandemic just kind of roll out. It, it, my career actually follows the career of uh, or the, the, the trajectory of, of HIV. I started off uh, as a medical student in 1982. And in 1983, they actually announced that they figured out what the cause of HIV was. Mm -hmm. And they said, within two years, we should have a vaccine. And we still don't have a vaccine for HIV. So, you know, um, so I've been able to see things where there's been a lot of struggle. There's been a lot of uh, having to 
disruption of the healthcare system, of having to redesign things, of new medicines coming out, of things not working the way we expect them to, and a lot of disappointments, but just keep plugging along and along. And so now we're at a point where if you have HIV infection, we can give you one pill once a day with minimal side effects, and you'll live a very, very long life and die from something else. And you can see a lot of parallels with that in COVID. You know, mm -hmm. we're still very early on um, with COVID. It, uh, it came on as a shock. The time scope with COVID has been much more compressed. You know, what took, you know, months and years with uh, HIV has taken days and weeks yeah. uh, with COVID. But uh, the progress we've made is actually it's phenomenal. You know, we're at a point now where we have vaccines. They're, they work. Uh, it's been a real tour de force of technology. And just being able to see that and then participate in getting them out to people has been very, very gratifying. And now we're actually seeing pills to treat uh, COVID so you don't have to get in the hospital and get IV medication. And you know, so I, just in this 19 months that we've been going through this, the dramatic changes that we've seen have been really remarkable. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to hear that we're, we're getting past just the vaccine talk and that we're actually yeah. talking about treatments that, mm -hmm. because that, that to me that, that means that, that puts us further ahead of this. I, sure. I think that really takes care of a sure lot of, you know, what we've been worried about. So sure. can you can you talk about some of those medicines and treatments and, sure, and kind of sure. let us know what might be coming? And Sure, sure. So, so we have treatments that's already been developed. So the first drug that came was a drug called remdesivir. It's an IV medication. And it works for people who are sick enough to be in the hospital but not sick enough to be on death's door. You know, and there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a very narrow window in which uh, we can use that. And then more recently, these antibodies came out, these IV infusions, and you, uh, that actually we give as outpatients, and that keeps you from getting into the hospital. And now we're taking it to the next step. Uh, you know, Merck has announced a pill. It's, a, it's about so big, and it, you, you take two of them twice a day, and take it for five days, and it helps. It cures COVID, and it, it reduces the hospitalization rate by half, uh, reduces the death rate by half, and so you can see that things are really changing to the point where probably sometime within 2022, if you feel bad, you'll go see your doctor. They're going to do a test on you to see if you have COVID. They're going to do a test on you to see if you have flu. Um, they're going to do a test to see if you have any other viral infections. It'll probably all be one test by that point. Mm -hmm. And once you get that test back, they'll go, oh, here, you have COVID. Here, here's your pills. Go take these for five days. If you start feeling bad, you know, you should go to the emergency room or come back. But, you know, you'll, you'll probably feel better in, in a couple of days. And and you and I were talking before that the, the numbers in Galveston County and, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to distinguish the difference between Clear Lake sure. and Galveston County, but th they're improving and, and you're hopeful. Yeah, so, so they're, they're improving really dramatically. We've come off our worst search, and um, we've seen the numbers go higher in, say, July of this year than we'd ever seen before. Now, you know, we had as many as, as almost 500 cases a day. Now, that may not seem like a lot when you compare it to Houston, which is, you know, the yeah. fourth largest city in the, in, in the country. But when you consider that Galveston County has a population of 350,000, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And so we had more people in the hospital than we've ever had before. We had more deaths. Half the deaths that we've had have occurred since June. Half of the cases that we've had have occurred since June. And so this was a really, really bad time in terms of the numbers. The good news is, is that because this was our third surge, mm -hmm. we got very good at handling it. And so you didn't hear talk of hospitals collapsing. You didn't hear talk of 
not having enough supplies. We've been able to work through all of those issues so that we were able to keep the healthcare system intact. And if you look at where they've had places where they've just had huge, huge death tolls, it's where the healthcare system has collapsed, mm -hmm. right? They just can't take care of those people. But we never cross that threshold. So, I mean, really kudos to, you know, the leadership at UTMB for, for holding all that together and making sure the supply chain was together and, and having trained staff and being flexible with how those staff are deployed so that we could meet that. But about... I don't know, sometime in September, we just started seeing the numbers fall like a stone. Yeah. And it's not really clear why. In uh, other surges, when we've seen our numbers drop, you can usually attribute to something. Oh, the governor imposed a, mm -hmm. you know, a masking order and, and closed down all the bars and put the restaurants in half. Oh, well, we started um, vaccinating and we got a critical mass so that the numbers and then people are being careful. Um, this time, you know, we had already vaccinated well over two-thirds of the county. And um, we had also, um, you know, people were, at this point, not wearing masks and not, yeah. you know, not changing their behavior. So we're not really sure why it, it dropped down. So that's really good news that it's dropping down, and we're really, really happy about it. The The, the negative side of that is, we're, since we're not sure, we're not sure what's going to happen in the future. So, you know, we would just caution everybody that it's not over yet. Um, by our best guess, there's still about 95,000 people in the county that have no immunity. And so they're susceptible and they can get sick. And, you know, we're worried about them. And, uh, um, but we expect to see more outbreaks as we go along. Whether they'll be big or not, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, it's just time will tell as we move on. And so I guess the cases kind of fell off everywhere, right? I mean, yes, all at did. once. So yeah. I'm I'm guessing people are still looking into that and trying to figure That's out, right. you know, what happened. Because I, yeah. from what I could tell, life went back to pretty normal really quickly there. Yeah. And so it's 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 good that, you yeah. know, it's collapsed and, and people are still doing the same things they were doing. Yeah. But you're right. It'd, it'd be nice to know so that yeah, get ahead know, of the Some next people one. have talked about things like herd immunity, and we've talked a lot about that. And the idea behind herd immunity is that you have enough people that are immune that you don't get spread of mm -hmm. the virus. and. You know, initially people were saying once we hit 70% that that would be herd immunity. Well, we're at about 70% right now, um, and uh, but we're still seeing some cases. And when we look at countries like uh, the UK and Israel and Portugal um, and China, you know, they have all had big drop-offs and now they're having some resurgence again. So, you know, what I think most people expect to happen is that we'll, we'll get these bumps. It'll go up and down and up and down. And hopefully the highs won't be as high and they won't be as long and they'll be shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. And um, as we continue to get more people vaccinated, as we get better therapeutics, that we're, we're getting better at controlling things, we'll see this slowly fade away or fade into the background, you know, mm -hmm. where it's kind of always there. but it, Like it'll flu. Be, it's like always flu. there. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about the vaccine. Um, and I don't have the numbers, and I'm sure you do, but mm -hmm. the hospital visits and the deaths, what percentage vaccinated versus uh, yeah. unvaccinated have you seen over, you know, well, basically since the big rollout? Yeah, sorry. So, so far we vaccinated in Galveston County, maybe about 350,000 people. We vaccinated about 205,000. Okay. In addition, there's about 50,000 people that have had COVID. So they have some immunity as well. And when you look at people that have been vaccinated, we have had about 1,000 hospitalizations out of 250,000, and we have had 24 people that have died, okay? 
And when you compare the rate of getting COVID or getting hospitalized or dying with those people that have had previous infection, what we see is, is that previous infection does protect you, but not quite as much as getting a vaccine. Okay, so it's about one and a half, two times more likely. On the other hand, if you haven't had either of those, you're about 70 or 80 times more likely than somebody who's been That's vaccinated. Staggering. Yes, yeah. it is It is huge, the difference between the two. So getting vaccinated works. These yeah. vaccines work. They work extremely well. They're very effective. They're some of the safest vaccines we've had. And I know a lot of people don't believe me when I say this, but you know, we, you know, just the fact that you can go online and look this up and mm -hmm. just get all those numbers at a, at a snap of a finger, I think it shows you how much we know about that vaccine, say, compared to your usual flu vaccine or your tetanus vaccine or your pneumonia vaccine. That's, you know, there, there's not nearly as much information about right. these. And, and they work extremely well. And they're extremely safe. Yeah. I mean, uh, my wife and I both got vaccinated as soon as we can. She's in the schools, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's one of the areas where people were most right. concerned. But right. that leads me back to uh, we are expecting an announcement soon. The five to 11 year olds. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk to me about that. Like, yeah. you know, what, what's your what's your recommendations? What, mm -hmm. what, what are you going to you know, what are you seeing? Mm -hmm. So uh, so the Pfizer vaccine has been approved for um, five to 11 year olds. Well, sort of been approved. Right. You know, and uh, but we expect it to go through the final approval stages. The FDA is is given a recommendation that it be approved. They're having their board meet. I think tomorrow. Um, and then uh, after that, um, they have what they call the CDC has a, an advisory council on immunization practices. So that'll meet the first week of November. Nobody expects any issues with that. And so we actually expect to have vaccine in our hands probably the second week of November. Now, from what we've seen is that this, this vaccine is it's slightly different than the one that's given to adults. It's a smaller dose. It, um, it's about a third of the dose. That was done purposefully. One, kids are smaller. Mm -hmm. um, two, that uh, there was concern that um, giving an adult dose might be associated with more toxicity. So that's why it took longer for particularly these younger kids. They really wanted to make sure this was absolutely safe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there doesn't seem to be any safety issues uh, with regard to that, but it has a smaller dose. And the really nice thing about this, it doesn't require it to be frozen cold 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 in these minus 20 degrees or minus 80 degrees fahrenheit uh so much more uh, readily available at that much point. more readily available yeah. so what that means is that it's going to be shipped out and it'll be shipped out to pediatricians offices it'll be uh shipped out you know to the health department pharmacies potentially can do it so anybody that's got a uh, got a regular freezer um can uh can get this vaccine and store it okay and there's two reasons to do that one is you want it widely available because you know as you've seen Having only one spot where you got to vaccinate a lot of people—that's a—that's a lot yeah, of work, yeah. right? Um, but uh, it also is, you know, when you're vaccinating small kids, can you imagine having to stand in long lines? Mm. And you know, some of them may not want to get vaccinated. I used Mom to have to hold mine down. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, right? You may have to cut the cold, yeah. hold the kids down. You have a mass vaccination site, and you hold one down. The kids start screaming. And all the kids start screaming. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's so. So th this makes it a much more natural type of place where, um, you know that uh, it'll be just uh, much easier. And we're hopeful that we can get a lot of kids vaccinated very quickly. Yeah, good. Uh, now let's talk about boosters. I know yeah. that's been widely dis uh, discussed. Yeah. I think my wife, she's she's thinking that she's, she's the same age. We're both 50. 
she's going to do it because I think it's been recommended for teachers. Yeah, we would recommend it for teachers. Yeah. Absolutely. You well, know, I mean, you know, we make a big deal about there, and there's been a big deal about uh, vaccines in schools and masks in schools and all that. Um, but quite frankly, the people that are the biggest risks are the teachers, not mm-hmm. the not the kids. You know, kids tend to do okay. Some kids have problems with COVID, but most kids do okay. But it's really the teachers that put themselves yeah. at risk. So that's a high-risk population. And we would encourage everyone to get their booster and, and to go ahead and get it. So again, right now, the, the boosters have been approved uh, by the FDA. And uh, that includes whether you've had a Pfizer vaccine, a Moderna vaccine, or a J&J vaccine. And the data seems to says right now that it doesn't really matter that much which one you get boosted with. That if you've had it and then you get, say you get a Pfizer and you've had two shots of Pfizer and then you get a shot of Moderna, that you're going to have a fine response and you're not going to have toxicity. Hmm. Same with J&J. You know, J&J, most people only got one, so you should get a second vaccine. In fact, we're recommending everybody that got J&J get a second vaccine because it didn't seem to work quite as well. Okay. Okay. And then um, there is some data which suggests that if you got Pfizer or J&J and you get Moderna, you may have a little better response. Oh, wow. So there's some people that want to have Moderna. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but Dr. Fauci said this morning that, oh, well, we would encourage people to stick with the, you know, the same one that they got. So not everyone believes that. Yeah. yeah and there's probably not enough information. But, you know, we're certainly... Um, allowing people to to get what whatever it is that they they want to get and at the health department we have all of these vaccines and uh we'll you know we'll give people the booster we feel like it's more important to get people boosted than to than to haggle over you know i want this one i don't want that one type thing so we talked about it earlier you you kind of started your career in the aids pandemic Mm -hmm. and it's been an ongoing thing but like we talked about, it's no longer a death sentence. People mm-hmm. can live, you know, just as long as anybody else. How remarkable has the response to COVID been as far as, you know, the amount of time it took to get a vaccine, yeah. the amount of, I mean, just the whole thing, oh. like you, you said, it's such a compressed time frame. Right. So, you know, so initially with, um, with HIV, people knew something was going on in 1980, and mm-hmm. it took three years to identify the virus, all right, now. They didn't know a whole lot about that virus at this point. We knew about COVID in January mm-hmm. of, uh, of uh, 2020. Well, that's what it was here. We actually knew about it in December, but it but actually got in the United States in 2020. And, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, scientists at, at UTMB uh, sequenced it by March, wow. meaning that they knew every single sequence. And we had a test that was developed here that we started deploying here um, mid-March. Wow. You know, eh, probably third week of March. <laughs> okay. Let's, uh, so, um, so you know, th- that time frame has just been amazing that, that, that we could even know what this virus is. We know it's different. We know so many things about it. And then being able to say, oh, these are the immune responses that occur with it. These are the type of antibodies you need to make to kill that virus. So literally by April of 2020, again, scientists at UTMB had tests where they could take these viruses and say, oh, yep, this works, this doesn't. And so they were able to work with Pfizer to help develop the Pfizer vaccine. And that technology also you know, was used uh, for the Moderna vaccine. And so just being able to take these things and so rapidly identify it 
and then build therapies to it has been unprecedented. Yeah, it, it really has. It, it's it's so amazing. The science has been remarkable. The other thing is, is that there's been, um, you know, a lot of, you uh, know, on one hand, there's been a lot of criticism of the federal government, and some of it very much deserved. Um, but there's also, the feds also allowed changes to be made in the way things have done. And so part of the skepticism with the vaccine development is it happened so fast. Well, does that mean they didn't test it? No, that's not true. But typically what the federal government does is that, okay, you got to do step one. All right, now you've done step one. Now fill out all this paperwork. Now submitted this paperwork. Okay, now that you've submitted this paperwork, we're going to think about it for a long time, and then we'll get back to you before we allow you to go to step two. Yeah. And then to step three, and then to step four. This didn't happen that way. It's like, okay, step one, two, three, all at the same time. Let's do, instead of sequential, do it parallel. And then having groups of people overseeing these processes so that things could be developed very, very rapidly. And I have a feeling we're never going back. You know, yeah. it's uh, the expectation has now been sent. It's just like, you know, telecommuting and all the other sort yeah. of social changes that-, that Well, once you realize the federal government can move that fast, you right. start to expect them to move right. that fast. Right. And, and, right. and like you said, the scientists did a great job. They reacted rapidly, but you know, I'm trying to figure out which one of those two events, the, the government acting fast or the scientists is more impressive. <laughs> well, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I mean, I th the, the best way I think to, to think about this is this is the infectious disease equivalent of the Manhattan Project, you know, where they went from nothing to an atomic bomb in actually it took them a couple of years. You know, mm -hmm. this took about a year uh, to, to, to take to the fruition. Again, you know, a lot of the technology for nuclear weapons and nuclear power existed before World War II, and, uh, but just bringing it all together and allowing those people to do the, their work unfettered and to allow them to say, what is it that you need? We'll get it for you and mean it. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's where you see these things go uh, so rapidly. Well, I'm hoping uh, one of the side effects here is that people get interested in science again. Oh, yeah. and, and it brings brings a, a, a fresh crop of, of yeah. new scientists because to be a part of something like that would be remarkable. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's already happening. And we're seeing a lot of interest in public health. And a lot of students are very interested in, in what we do. You know, the idea that we're going to try and protect people's health and prevent people from uh, from getting sick. And with the uh, funding that we're getting as COVID mitigation, there includes funding for, for training people. And so a lot of us are very hopeful that this has been the public health equivalent of, say, World War II and the wake-up call that came to the defense establishment, mm -hmm. you know, that we're not going to get cut, caught flat-footed again. Yeah. So we're very hopeful that, that as it moves forward, a lot of this funding that we currently have for COVID remains and we can start doing other things like looking at chronic diseases and diabetes. And really, I think even more important, uh, uh, things that involve community health because there's obviously been a gap and a, a trust gap. And a lot of that comes from the fact that people see, you know, talking heads, people they don't know, um, saying stuff which they don't necessarily understand, agree with, what, what have you. But if we're out there every day working in communities mm -hmm. and have relationships within communities and then something happens, what's going to happen is that people are going to, you know, look at what's happening in D.C. and they're going to see what they're talking and then they're going to turn to us and they go, is, is that right? And we'll go, yeah. Or we'll go, eh. You know, but they'll trust us. And, and, and that's one of the things I think we've seen with COVID is that people don't care 
what President Trump says. People don't care what President Biden says. People don't care what Dr. Fauci says. People don't even care what I say at, at this point. You know, but what they want to know is, what does my doctor say? What does my pastor say? What does my friend say? I have a, a sister who's a nurse. What does she say? It's that trust factor. The distrust is so high that that trust factor has become something that we recognize we have to spend time rebuilding. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned it, the further you get away from it, like from Washington to Texas yeah. to local, you know, it's access to people. And like you said, that's right. how you build that trust. Right. And, and it's kind of, it's a lot like I have more of an impact when I vote in the, in, a, in League City because there's fewer, yeah. and, and it just had more control. And, and right. I think that's what you're getting at is, you're building those relationships in the community, and, and that's going to build that trust. So that yeah. hopefully the next time something like this happens, we're much better prepared, and there's open lines of communication. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Kaiser, it's been it's been a, a pleasure. And is there anything else you want to tell the audience before we part? No, I would just encourage people to you know to get vaccinated. Um, you know, I, I keep saying the same thing over and over again, and I know a lot of people are are skeptical and, and concerned. And I know I even know parents that have gotten vaccinated themselves, but they're worried about their kids. Mm -hmm. And and I can tell you, don't worry about your kids. Your kids are going to be fine. It'll be good for them. It's good for the whole community uh, to get them vaccinated. And um, part of the reason why we've waited so long to get these vaccines for children, I mean, it's 10 months since we rolled them out for adults, yeah. right? Part of the reason is they wanted to make absolutely sure that they were right, safe. Right, right, right. Well, thanks again. I appreciate everything you do out there and, uh, you know, Hopefully uh, we meet again under uh, more pleasant circumstances. Oh, it's a pleasure talking to you. I've enjoyed it very nice much. Nice to meet you. Hello, Glidic Area Chamber of Commerce members and Bay Area Houston. If you're a business wanting to expand your customer base, give back to your community, think about the quality of life around Clear Lake Area, think about joining the chamber. Go to clearlakearea.com for more information.